With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. And boy, do we have a fantastic show planned for you this Monday. All right, Delano Squires is going to stop by, and we're going to talk about Little Nas's ex's latest video. Uh, I think they're called Industry Baby. It's pretty provocative. Thanks. Little Nas X says it's remotely sexual. It's more than a little more remotely sexual. Uh, but before we get to Delano... Normally, I start this show with my own fire, but our very own Greg Couch, a fearless contributor, he's actually started a fire or an interesting conversation. He wrote a column this morning about what Texas and Oklahoma's defection to the SEC, what that means for college sports. It's a new perspective, and so I'm going to wait until the second segment of the show to start a fire. And then I'm going to start one with Delano. I'm going to start another fire with Delano. But I wanted I want to get right to Greg's very provocative and interesting column uh, about what's going on in college sports. Greg argues that the SEC is basically trying to overthrow the NCAA and the SEC may not even be done with this expansion, that the, the Supreme Court rulings that basically made amateurism no more uh, have set off some movement in college sports, and the SEC might be the leader in this movement, having it's official now, Texas and Oklahoma are, are coming to the SEC. But I'm going to quit rambling here and let Greg explain. What's the gist of your column this morning? The Great Reset has hit college sports, and maybe it's the Great Reset SEC. Greg, elaborate on your column this morning. Well, this is a coup straight up, okay? The NCAA has lost all of its power because of the amateurism rules, just like you just said. They built themselves on this amateurism model. Let's stay away from the big money. Let's be pure. Of course, they use that model to, to bring in billions of dollars of revenues. And now the Supreme Court is pretty much ruling that, clearly ruling that they don't agree with that model. This isn't right, and it's unfair to the athletes. And so, you know, the NCAA really has very little to do right now. And so the SEC has decided they're going to step in and take control. And what they've done is they've gone after Texas and Oklahoma. They're bringing in, the, you know, look, there's going to be a lot of, of more endorsement money coming in. There's going to be athletes are probably going to get paid now the salaries to play their sports, football. And, you know, there's going to be a lot more money just funneling into college sports. And so that money is going to go to schools that probably have the biggest the biggest profile, the blue blood schools. And so what the SEC did is they went out and got the big 12s to blue blood schools, Oklahoma and Texas. They're going to bring them in. And who knows what else the SEC is going to do? Maybe they'll go get Clemson and Florida State. Who knows what else they're going to go after? 
But if the money is going to go to the Blue Bloods and the Blue Bloods are going to be in the SEC, then all the money is going to be coming to the SEC. You know, all the power is going to be with the SEC. And Jason, they're going to be able to make all their own rules from here. You think the college football playoff expansion is going to be fair to the Cincinnati's of the world when the SEC is deciding how it's going, how it's going to be laid out? So this is a big moment, and uh, this is probably the biggest, one of the biggest power plays in the history of American sports. All right, you, you, you said a mouthful there, and the one thing that stuck out to me was, are they going to be fair to the Cincinnati's of the world in the college football playoffs? Could we quit this little charade that these little teams, these non-major teams, actually should be playing for the college national championship? Again, I, I kind of – that thought you just put out there kind of makes me happy because I'm not for this 12-team playoff system they want to have. The best football is played in the SEC. Ohio State occasionally has something to say about that. Clemson occasionally has something to say about that. But Cincinnati ain't got a Central Florida, some of these other little midget schools that, you know, like a ball state, we ain't got nothing to say about that. So <laughs> I actually think, given how poor the NCAA did managing college sports. I actually think it's a good thing if, if Greg Sankey and the SEC, if they take over college sports, do you see it as potentially a good thing? Uh, potentially, yes, but I'm going to go with no for my answer to that because it's just going to create an even uh, more pronounced caste system, okay? This happened a long time ago when they produced this one AA and one AAA systems, uh, you know, uh, levels that they did in college football. I don't remember what year that was. So now we're going to funnel it down to even fewer fewer schools, and and it's just going to be more and more um, you know money and attention and focus on those schools. And so I think in the end, you know, when we're talking about uh, you know endorsement money coming in, if all of the power is in one place and all the eyeballs and TV viewerships in one place, is that really going to help people in the other places? I, I know what you're saying. The the ball states of the world. Uh, shouldn't be competing against Alabama for the national championship. That may be true. We may have a more of a fair uh, representation of who the best team is this way, I guess. But I, I think there's a lot of danger in, in just you know funneling it down, winnowing it down, winning it down, Jason. And so we don't really have uh, you know a, a widespread, broad uh, support for for student athletes, if that's really even a word anymore. I guess the new word would be labor instead of student athletes. <laughs> well, listen, you said two words that I'm going to push back against: attention right. and eyeballs. It's all going to be on the SEC. And, and this is the thing that I think a lot of sports writers miss, and, and look, maybe even a lot of athletes miss. I played college football at Ball State. On, when we th had things rolling, 15 to 18,000 people would show up at our stadium. Uh, if we went on the road and played a Big Ten school, we go to Wisconsin or Purdue, 40, 50,000 people, blah, blah, blah. It didn't make a difference. I had just as much fun playing in front of 10,000 people as I did playing in front of 40,000 people. I didn't need to be on national television in the 1980s in order for my Ball State experience to be, and it still is to this day. My five years at Ball State are the greatest five years of my life. The relationships I built with my friends there continues to this day. We text each other every day. There, there's this myth that attention and eyeballs 
are the only thing that entertain kids, and we shove that down their throat, and we, oh, my God, you don't have attention and eyeballs. That can't be fun. I'm just, I've had a lot of fun without attention and eyeballs. Hell, the most fun I've ever had is, you know. You had no eyeballs on you. None. Lights off. <laughs> and just, <laughs> just me and one. <laughs> you and some baby oil. <laughs> and peanut butter. <laughs> and so I just, I just don't have a, I'm not running around throwing a pity party because uh, Kansas State, or Kansas won't have all the attention and eyeballs that the Big 12 normally gets. It's just not that big of a deal. And the elite schools probably do need to separate themselves to some degree from everybody else because they're actually playing and executing a different game than the rest of college football and and men's college basketball. I mean, I think... That's all a good point. But that stuff existed when you were playing, and it's going to still exist now. There's nothing – the whole world of college football is changing right now, and a ton of money is coming into it. And it would be nice to see that money at least spread out a little bit instead of just someone hoarding the best teams and hoarding all of the money and grabbing it. So I don't know about the ball states of the world, but what about Iowa State? Or what about <clears throat> Iowa State's you know, becoming a, a national-level quality team? I mean, are they going? is anyone going to see them play? I mean, are they going to – going to watch their games and whoever the stars of that team might be that might brought, bring attention and, and more endorsement money or whatever could be brought out for the second best and third best, fourth best players on those teams. So I, I agree with you. Look, you know, I'm a small college tennis coach, Roosevelt University in Chicago. These are great experiences. I take my team to Florida. We have an amazing time. And I know those players are, are having lifetime, lifelong memories. But I'm just saying that everything's changing. There's a lot of money funneling into this program, into this sport now. And there's no there's no reason why that money can't spread out just a little bit. Well, here's where the money, I think, where your concerns may be legitimate, but I would still even disagree. <laughs> What's going to happen with this concentration of money in the SEC and maybe a couple other power conferences, the welfare sports, as I like to call them, the sports <laughs> that don't generate a dime, no one wants to see, they could potentially be impacted in terms of the SEC will generate enough money that they can have all their welfare sports and the wrestling team and the volleyball team and the softball team and they can finance all that stuff that no track and field that no one wants to see and no one cares about and and those teams can continue to pretend like they're the football and basketball team and and jet all over the country and now maybe that'll be harder for teams in the Big 12 and other conferences to do that. <laughs> and well, you know what I'm going to say? Good. Because it's just like when these teams, these welfare sport teams, hop on planes and crisscross the country to play here, and play, I'm like, what are they doing? Why are they doing this? They don't need to be doing this. I, and I go back to my high school experience. We got on buses and went and played teams within driving distance of ourselves. I had a great time. It was a great experience. I didn't need to fly across the country to have a great time. I didn't need to stay in some three, four, two-star, five-star hotel to have a good time. I could go compete and play, hop on a bus afterwards all sweaty and smelly with 40, 50 other guys, drive back to my high school, take a shower, and, then, and go home. And it was great. We've spoiled and pampered 
these athletes and all these other sports that don't generate a penny and it needs to stop. And so I, I just went off on a tangent. I, I want to ask you. I was going to say, you kind of went off. I just went off on a tangent. Wow. I, I'm, yeah, I do that. I'm, I, probably, I'm you, passionate about it. Did you forget about, Greg was here? I did. <laughs> Let me ask you this question, or Greg, you can respond to that, but I'm going to ask you this question instead. What will and should happen to the NCAA moving forward? Okay, first I want to talk about what you just went off on a second ago because I think you have a wrong image of what's going on with the, what did you call them, the the charity sports or whatever you called them. Welfare. Welfare sports. Mm -hmm. Look, when Clemson tried to drop all those sports this year, I think it came out that the women's soccer team, I believe, they were, you know, three women in a locker, you know, as opposed to the, the, the football team, which has a bowling alley and a movie theater to themselves. I mean, the, I don't think the I don't think some of these sports are, are living at large the way you think they are. OK. And, uh, you know, so I, that I want to start with as far as the NCAA goes, you know, they can't. Hold on, let me the stop way- you there. Let me stop you there. Let me stop you there. Uh, my no, argument right. isn't that they're living large. They're living above their means. And so that's my argument. I'm not saying they're living large. And I don't know, it's very hard to have a football team that doesn't have a bowling alley and a movie theater set aside for a great program. It's very hard to conduct football programs without those amenities. Uh, you got to have bowling alleys and, and movie theaters. I, I'm sure a bowling alley helps you uh, and hosts helps you throw blocks. I, yes, I'm sure it, it does. does. It and so you. you know the Clemson football team deserves that. You see how much they win, the kind of crowds they draw. Hell, they, they they're lucky just getting off with a bowling alley. I would ask for a putt putt range. Do they still play putt putt. Is putt putt still? Do you ever play putt putt? Uh, yeah, yeah. It was, it, it was Kyle trying to get my car to school. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, now, what should the NCAA do and what will happen to them? I, I, they, have no, they have no function anymore other than running a basketball tournament. So I think they're going to, I mean, they, their whole Damn. function, even, even the whole idea was to protect their amateurism model. That's all they're trying to do when they're policing things was just to protect this model that's now dead. So... But I don't think that, I mean, they don't have to just die off. What they could actually do is become what they've claimed to have been all along, okay? All these schools, that, all these sports that you're kind of, uh, you know, not too proud of right now, they could use a governing body. Maybe college football and basketball should become sort of a professional model, College Sports Inc., while these other teams, the golf teams, the tennis teams, the wrestling teams, you know, they're not even, I think they're 11 men's gymnastics teams left in the entire country the college gymnastics men's gymnastics is going out of business okay so maybe the ncaa can actually take over the amateur sports and and govern them and lead them and try to bring them back to some health i think yeah jason i think that's a that's a model that could still work for them whether they have the the you know willingness to get their hands dirty and actually be not hypocrites and be what they claim to have always been you know that'll be another that'll be another question Greg, you're painting this picture like I can't stand the welfare sports. <laughs> I got free cheese when I was growing up. We got it. I'm not against welfare. I just, again, I'm, what I'm against is people living above their means. I missed that cheese. And so uh, I don't want it to come off like I'm down on golf and wrestling and gymnastics and track and field. Those are great sports. Those athletes deserve a place to compete. And I say that in all seriousness. They just should. Being, look, the Iowa golf team hopping on an airplane to go play the Indiana golf team or, or what, however they do it, the tennis team hopping on an airplane to go, that should stop. And so 
being involved, these welfare sports, being involved in these mega major conferences, that should stop. The, the, the Ball State, and I'm sorry to use Ball State as an example, I'll probably get killed for saying this. I love Ball State. I hope the coaches are watching. But the damn Ball State tennis team shouldn't play anybody that it can't drive to go play. And it, it should be a quick trip within a couple, two or three hours. And same with the Iowa golf team or whoever else. I take it you're not, that you, they have no intention of putting you on the board of directors well, at Ball State. I, look, well, they probably- you're wrong about that, but I don't, I don't have time for it. But I do put my money where my mouth is as it relates to Ball State. They've gotten and get plenty of my money. So I, I'm not, you know, no one can complain authentically about anything I say about Ball State. I paid the, Paul, I paid the cost to be the boss as it relates to Ball State. Let me ask you this. Get on there, nephew. Wait, <laughs> I want to. <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Greg. I don't think the foot, most of these football teams aren't living within their means either, okay? I know you're talking about some of these SEC teams. They're all making a fortune. Most college football teams in this country are losing money, okay? And if you're going to try to compare the golf team and the wrestling team or whatever, the gymnastics team, to a professional model and they're not making money, I mean, how much money is the chemistry department making? How much money is the biology department making? I, 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 don't, I think you're looking at them in a, in a way that's not the, – the problem with these welfare sports, as you're calling them, and these other sports is that they're trying to live in the same model, the same professional model. My, my point is that maybe these NCAA – uh, you know, maybe the NCAA now can split the model and we can have a professional model and an amateur model. I don't think the tennis team has to make money. I mean, I agree with you, though. They don't have to travel around the world. They don't have to do these things. I, I'm with you on that. But I think that you're putting these things together, Jason, where, you know, the, you're, you're looking at the golf team as if it should be turning a profit. I mean, why? Why do these does the school newspaper no, turn a profit? I don't think they should be turning a profit. I don't think they should be turning a profit. I think they should be living within their means. And I'm going to say this, and, and I'm, I'm a football apologist, and I'm biased towards football. Football produces leaders. Go look across corporate America. Go look across any the military and football produce leaders, produce strong men who have helped push this country forward. They're are some there's some extra value to football and I know <laughs> you can learn the same lessons in golf you can learn the same lessons playing volleyball no you can't it's not as dangerous and danger iron sharpens iron there's a reason why the military creates great leaders men and women there's a reason why football creates great leaders you have to take some real risks and do some real sacrificing and deal with some real stuff to survive in football. And that, so those survival skills apply to other aspects of life moving beyond football. There's a reason football, and I'm, I'm going to get killed for saying this, I don't care. It's vital to national security and the health of the country. If we keep trying to, the New York Times and all the other left keep trying to destroy football. What they're really doing is undermining American leadership. Man, I'm and glad I'll, you didn't play softball. Jesus. Yeah, You're you right. I wouldn't be here if I had. <laughs> Golly. If I played baseball, softball, any other sports, I wouldn't be here right where I wouldn't be any kind of leader. I'd be half the man. Oh, no, I'm not going to say that. I'm, I take that back. I don't want to offend anybody. But anyway, I'm just telling you, there's some leadership qualities of football. Let me ask you this, Greg. You compared uh, what the SEC is doing 
to the AFL-NFL merger, quite a provocative point. Mm. Do you really think this potential move by the SEC can be as significant as the AFL-NFL merger? Well, in the, in the short term, yes. In the long term, probably not, no. I mean, I think, obviously, the merger of the AFL-NFL really changed the course of what became the national pastime, you know, NFL. And, and, and so, yeah, I mean, but in the short term, like, I don't think that the AFL, I mean, I, I hope I'm not wrong on this, but I, I don't think that the, I don't think football, NFL football was as huge of a deal in the 1960s as college football is right now. I think the first Super Bowl didn't sell out. And I think baseball was the key sport in this country. Maybe boxing was up there too. Maybe even maybe even horse racing. I, I don't really know. But the the I, obviously the AFL NFL merger changed the the look of the NFL, and you know we became passing oriented, and it grew into this massive massive thing. But at the time, it wasn't as big as college football is right now. In my opinion, we already have billions of dollars into this sport in college football. You know, ESPN is all over the place, and and for, to take a hostile takeover into something this big, you know, is is a bigger undertaking, I think, than went with the AFL NFL merger. NFL teams had all the value, but the AFL owners had were, were richer than the NFL owners, so that was just a little bit of a, a you know an easier deal for them to 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 do to take over to merge, and so uh, yeah, so I think in the short term, bigger deal now, but in the long run, probably not. Final question, and then we'll move to a different topic. Can the Big Ten, Pac-12, and ACC, anything they can do to save themselves? I, I can't see what the Pac-12 can do. The big, I noticed you, you left out the Big 12 on purpose because they're, they're pretty much dead in the water. The Pac-12, they only have USC left as far as an elite program. You know, the, the ACC, I mean, they better just be trying to hang on to Clemson and Florida State and keep them from going to the SEC. But I think that the Big Ten does have a possibility because Ohio State and Michigan are elite blue blood programs. And I think what the Big Ten's gonna have to do is go out and raid the, the remaining teams from big markets. I think they're gonna need to go out and get USC to join the Big Ten, maybe UCLA to get that uh, Los Angeles TV market. I, I don't know if UC, UCLA has a big enough sports mentality in, in, at football to, to matter. But I think the Big Ten should also go look at Colorado to get the, ten, the Denver market, look at Arizona or Arizona State to get the Phoenix TV market. I think they can piece together a model that would give them more TVs than the SEC uh, will have. Now, it won't be the same kind of TVs because SEC TVs are all dying to watch, to watch college football. But, but yeah, Jason, I do think the Big Ten can survive. They're going to have to go raid other conferences, and they're going to have to do it fast before the SEC goes and gets USC and Clemson and Florida State and pretty much wipes everyone else out. Greg, don't go anywhere. You know what he didn't mention, Jim? What's that? Is that the Big Ten needs to fire Michigan football coach Jim Harbaugh Man. if they want to be taken seriously. They have to restore Michigan football to restore that conference, and it's probably going to take the firing of Jim Harbaugh to do that, to get that done. All right. You know I've talked about these guys a lot here in the past week. What can I say? Built Bars are amazing. Low in calories, low in sugar and carbs. These protein bars shouldn't be this good. They should taste as bland and as chalky as some of their competitors you get at the grocery store, but they aren't those bars. I don't know. Built Bars, they sent us all of their mix box, and I'm having a damn good time 
trying all the different flavors. Had one this afternoon. Had a great workout this morning. Came in on a little fast, made myself a smoothie, and ate a Built Bar. And boy, do I feel terrific. These are some of the best protein bars I've personally tasted and help me going, keep, keep me going throughout the day. Built Bars are also the new official partner with the U.S. Olympic track and field teams for this year's Summer Olympics in Tokyo. Go to Built.com and use promo code FEARLESS to save 15% off your first order. Use promo code FEARLESS for 15% off at Built.com. Welcome back. Jason Whitlock. Fearless with Jason Whitlock and Uncle Jimmy. And in this segment, Greg Couch, back for a second segment. I'm finally, after a delay, I'm finally going to start a fire today. I got my first fire start of the day. Stay tuned. I got a second one later in the show. All right, Uncle Jimmy, you know what I love to do? Eat? No. More than that. More, almost as much as that. Gamble? No. 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 More, more. Well, almost as much as that. Any other guesses? You know what I love to do? You gave up strip clubs. <laughs> I did. You know what I love to do? I love to blame LeBron James. Ah, damn it. That was I my best guess. And so I blame LeBron James once again for the U.S. Olympic uh, failure that we just had over the weekend. It's all Lebr- LeBron James' fault. What the hell is it his fault, Jason? I'm talking about the indifference is what I'm talking about. The indifference I felt Sunday morning as I watched Team USA fall to Team France 83-76 in both squads Olympic opener. <laughs> I know LeBron James isn't on the team, Uncle Jimmy. I didn't even know of course they lost. I know that. <laughs> yeah, they lost 83-76. LeBron chose to be on Tomb Squad, aka Space Jam 2, over Team USA. Kevin Durant and Damian Lillard are the superstars of our Olympic team. Doesn't change the fact that LeBron killed American basketball. I blame LeBron. He certainly killed the fanatical passion many of us used to feel watching the best in the world compete in the Olympics and the NBA playoffs. Now, I mostly feel indifferent. I don't care. I don't care what happens to this team. That's probably good news for our passionless Olympic men's basketball team. They're under no pressure to bring home the gold. No one cares. We just don't want to see our multimillionaire, pampered, ungrateful-ass NBA players get on the medal stand and complain about America or do some sort of protest that makes Colin Kaepernick blush or some kind of George Floyd publicity stunt. I just don't want to see it. That means our USA basketball team finishes second, third, or in fourth place in these Olympics? So be it. Good for me good for the rest of us that are just tired of this little phony act. That's LeBron's legacy. He spawned American basketball indifference. He jumped from team to team. He symbolizes uh, he symbolizes everything that's wrong with former commissioner David Stern's vision of the superstar being more important than the team. The individual brand taking precedence above the logo and even the American flag. LeBron symbolizes the America Second Movement, the prioritization of China and Nike ahead of his home country, the United States of America. American basketball is in a worse place than where LeBron found it. That's what separates him 
from Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Julius Irvin, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell. LeBron dropped the basketball torch handed to him by the game's greatest ambassadors. The men who ignited, protected, and grew the NBA flame into an inferno. 30 years ago, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, and Larry Bird led a dream team into the 1992 Olympics. There was talk that the NBA, Uncle Jimmy, would one day like rival the NFL. That the NBA might become America's pastime. I thought it would. Magic, Air Jordan, Larry Legend, Sir Charles, the Admiral, the Mailman, the Glide, and Pip. All of them household names and American superheroes. They barnstormed Barcelona, repped American exceptionalism, and made us all swell with pride. Now we swell with indifference. Now we just don't care. This generation's transcendent player, LeBron James, dampened our passion. Why root for your country when many of the people representing your country act like they hate your country? Indifference defines these Olympics and it defines a lot of old school sports fans' feelings toward our professional basketball players. It's not all LeBron's fault. He's just the face of the me first social media athlete. He decided to wrap himself in the Black Lives Matter flag. He gets the lion's share of the blame because he's the one athlete who could have made a difference pushing back against the anti-American tide. Instead, LeBron sold out. He accepted all the checks for lending his name to bad TV projects and political campaigns built on race baiting. LeBron will be a billionaire soon, but his legacy will always be polarizing and less than what it should be. His disingenuousness has harmed his likability. His Space Jam movie. You take your kids to see that yet, Uncle Jimmy? It won't. Space Jam 2? It won't. It's not half bad, but no one cares. It's a box office disaster. I mean. LeBron sacrificed half of his domestic appeal to serve China's interest. Post-playing career, LeBron's not gonna age well. <laughs> nah, he ain't, gonna age. he ain't gonna age like Ali. <laughs> he ain't gonna age like magic. He won't be beloved like them. Oh. Ali stood against the Vietnam War. Magic has battled AIDS with dignity. Ali and Magic fought something real and dangerous. LeBron? <laughs> well, he compared himself to Emmett Till's mother oh. after an unidentified bandit allegedly spray-painted the back gate of his $20 million mansion. <laughs> oh, and he pretended to be petrified of going outside. Remember, we're being hunted everywhere we go. Every day, hunting six foot eight black men. Yeah. LeBron's a real freedom fighter. He also won't be exalted as a competitor and champion the way we revere Michael Jordan. Not by sports fans, at least. When the left is done using King James, his sycophants and propagandists will discard him and fetishize the next useful idiot identified by their paymaster. Mm. Mm. You know, I love to blame LeBron James. That's some of my best work there, Uncle Jimmy. Mm. Agree, disagree? You, you, that, 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 that was nice right there. That, that, that's like nice. That? That, that was nice. I, I, I'm going to give you that. I, I give credit where credit due. Thank you. I appreciate that. Go, go ahead and get you some seconds on that one there. <laughs> let's, bring in, let's bring back in Greg Couch out in Chicago. Hey, G. Greg covered a lot of Michael Jordan's career. 
you got a take on my take. I just don't think LeBron's going to age as well as Jordan or Ali or Magic Johnson, some of the other beloved, revered athletes. Well, he's not. I mean, I was actually in the grocery store the, yesterday and I walked past the cereal aisle and there was Muhammad Ali on a cereal box right now. You know, that's not going to happen to LeBron all these years later. LeBron, look, LeBron is responsible because when you're the leader of a sport, you're the face of the sport, you are responsible for the direction of that sport. I mean, and, and the, this, you know, he's the guy who never really cared about his team. It doesn't seem like he, he was with Cleveland. So he headed off to, to South Beach and he, you know, he's bouncing around from team to team. He's not in a build anything mode. He's in a buy, buy everything mode. And so, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that he's, you know, he's sort of set the model that it's not about the team anymore. And, and it's about him. It's about individualism. And when you're playing in the Olympics, you're supposed to be playing for your country. And I don't know if you still believe in that personally or not. I do. I still think t people should be playing for their country. <laughs> I don't really think that the NBA, I don't think that the NBA, oh my gosh, I don't think that the Olympic men's basketball team is playing for the country. And I mean, if they were that, you'd like to think they'd be trying. If this is their effort they're going to give when they're playing for the country, then that's pretty much insulting to, to the flag, in my opinion, Jason. Greg, wow. good stuff. Let me wow. ask you this, though. You've covered five Olympics. Uh, do Americans care anything at all about any of these Olympics? Not just the basketball, but just about these Olympics in general. Uh, Boy, I haven't I haven't seen it yet. I mean, but you've got a lot of you've got Simone Biles, you've got Katie Ledecky, we've got some of the greatest athletes in the history of, of their sports out there now. But no, I don't think there's been any momentum or any excitement about the Olympics in this country yet. Yeah, I, we keep waiting for it. And, and, you know, I know Biles didn't do that great yesterday. So, uh, you know, I, I'm going to go with no, I think you're right. I, I don't I don't really I don't sense it at all. You know, we talked over the weekend, Greg, and having covered five Olympics, you had a perspective about how this Olympics, because of the COVID protocols and not having fans, that right there, just right in Tokyo, you've undermined any sort of real connection or any sort of real passion for these Olympic Games because fans aren't at the events and aren't really even at the Olympics. Yeah, that's right. That See, to me, the Olympics, like you said, I've been to five of them. They're really about connecting cultures, okay? So like when I was at the Beijing Olympics, I spent a week and a half, two weeks there, and I didn't feel like I was connecting well enough. I went out and hired an interpreter, and she was taking me around, and we went to people's houses. We knocked on the door. They let us in, and she explained to them, oh, this is an American. and and he's trying to understand what's happening here in Beijing. These people brought me into their house. They made me tea. The guy showed me that he painted the painting on the wall. You know, she took me to a park. Instead of having a basketball, uh, you know, playing pickup basketball games, they're all playing pickup ping pong games. So I played a ping pong game against like a hundred year old guy who I don't think moved once, just held his paddle like this and still kicked my butt anyway. You know, I, I, I've been on a bus. I got lost in, in uh, Italy and I ended up getting on a bus with half the Argentina uh, Winter Olympic team. And while we were lost, the bus is driven by bobsledders and they're driving 100 miles an hour, racing ahead of ambulances like they, they don't realize this isn't a track. You know, I took my kids to the London Olympics and, and these people come in, millions of people from around the world or, or uh, hundreds of thousands. 
And even if they're not getting into the events, they're there. They're going anyway. And so you're talking to these people. You're, you're gathering with them. You know, my kids would go to a, the, Czech, the Czech Republic house and watch a concert play. And the, you, there, there's just this, this culture uh, combination that, that really makes the games. You know, the, you think of the, the games. The games are in the bubble itself. It's outside the bubble where you're seeing this culture combination, this culture, you know, and it's a beautiful thing. It's fantastic. So to see, watch these guys playing now and with no one in the stands and just realizing none of that's happening right now. I mean, Jason, this is, I, I feel the Olympics are my favorite sporting event that I've covered. And it's just sad to see it, in my opinion. All right, Greg, we got to let you go. Delano's just around the corner. I'm going to start another fire with him. Uh, but before I go, there are hundreds of companies out there claiming to compare auto and home insurance rates, but there's only one who actually does it. Get a better insurance with Gabby, and I know it because I've done it. Gabby is the one true comparison platform with fast, verifiable quotes, not ballpark guesses. Use your current policy to find a better policy comparing your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, Nationwide, and Travelers, all in one place. Use your current insurance information to get started. It's free, and they only show policies that are the same or better than your current coverage, many of them at a lower price. Gabby customers save $961 per year on average, and they'll never sell your, sell your information, so no annoying spam or robocalls. Put your policy to the test like I did. Get a better insurance with Gabby. It's totally free to check, and there's no obligation. Go to Gabby.com slash fearless. That's Gabby, G-A-B-I dot com slash fearless. Gabby.com slash fearless. Welcome back. Welcome back to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock. We're going to keep the show rolling. We're going to roll out to Washington, D.C. and bring in Professor Delano Squires. Okay, he's not really a professor, but that's what we call him. He's the smartest man on the show. But before we do that, I got a second fire I want to start. We're just breaking all kinds of format. We started with Greg Couch, no fire. Then I let off a fire with Greg Couch. Now I'm going to do the fire starter of all fire starters, Great, bro. a lot of stuff happening this weekend, so I got a second fire to start before we get to Delano. All right, for those of us outraged by rapper Little Nas X's latest soft porn music video, here we have no one to blame other than ourselves. We created Little Nasty X Rated when we danced to Two Shorts' Freaky Tales, shouted me so horny at the request of the two live crew, co-signed Snoop Dogg's doggy style and wrapped along to Little Kim and 50 Cent's magic stick. We spent 30 years defining black culture as an extension of hip hop's pornographic lyrics and celebration of prison life. <laughs> Little Nas X is simply holding a mirror. His sexually explicit gay in prison video for the song Industry Baby is perfectly named. The industry birthed, nurtured, and is now hosting his coming out party. He is the industry's baby. 
The industry has reared millions of little Nas X's. They're not confined to our prisons and jails. Prison culture has been exported to mainstream society through music. The tats, the cornrows, the sagging pants, the crude language, the gladiator violence, and the sexual fluidity have all been normalized. Go listen to what we've been partying to for the past three decades. You thought No Vaseline was a diss track? Mm -hmm. You got the wrong D word, try again. Little Nas X heard the message loud and queer. Listen to what he tweeted yesterday in a little back and forth he had with Dr. Boyce Watkins. Y'all be silent as hell when N-words dedicate their entire music catalog to rapping about sleeping with multiple women. Then Little Nas X continued, but when I do anything remotely sexual, I'm being sexually irresponsible and causing more men to die from AIDS. Y'all hate gay people and don't hide it. End quote. Nas X needs a better understanding of the adverb remotely. His latest video is more than remotely sexual. The video starts innocently. A black prosecutor accuses little Nas X of the crime of homosexuality. A black judge sentences the rapper to five years in Montero State Prison for being gay. Nas plays the role of judge, prosecutor, defendant, and jury member. From there, things turn quite sexual. Nas makes it rain and simulates doggy-style sex with his cellmate. There's a shower scene with Nas and a half a dozen naked inmates who appear to be auditioning for a remake of Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation video. By normal standards, Industry Baby is more than remotely sexual. By today's rap music standards, the video is relatively tame. It's not quite Cardi B's wet-ass P-word. The 2020 video and Song of the Year, according to BET, the BET Awards, the American Music Awards Song of the Year, and the People's Choice Award for Best Collaboration. The American entertainment industry has turned into Pornhub. Little Nas is the best new actor at the Adult Video News Awards. You know, the AVN Awards. I think Uncle Jimmy's been to those out in Las Vegas. Little Nas, he's Dana Plato, who rose to fame starring as Mr. Drummond's daughter, Kimberly, on the family-oriented TV show, Different Strokes. She ended her career doing porn. Little Nas X became famous and attracted a cult following of young children with the innocent 2018 country rap song, Old Town Road. Three years later, his handlers unveiled him as a satanic icon with the song Montero, an ode to Nas's descending into hell to give Satan a lap dance. For anyone who missed the wicked symbolism, Industry Baby is the exclamation point. Little Oz X, like all commercial rappers before him, is here to promote immorality and degeneracy among young people. It's worth noting that Kanye co-produced Industry Baby. As is fashionable today, Little Nas cloaks his message in social justice reform. Oh, this dude is clever. Along with the Friday video release, 
The clever rapper announced he's joining forces with the Bail Project, a nonprofit organization dedicated to ending cash bail. Social justice reformers argue that cash bail drives structural racism in our criminal justice system. Nas, in a statement, said, it's personal. I know the pain that incarceration brings to a family, and I know the disproportionate impact that cash bail has on black Americans and the LGBT community. Let's bring people home and let's fight for freedom and equality. Once again, the LGBTQ agenda is framed as a black issue. It's by design. It's been in the making for 60 years. It's our fault. Talking about black men. We have been weak, malleable, materialistic, hedonistic, secular, and arrogant since the assassination of Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. We, we, us, black men, we created Little Nas X. Uncle Jimmy. What? Before I go out to DC, you got a quick take? Yeah. Yeah. Hey man, some things ain't worth my time, man. And this is one of them times. I don't, I don't think it's funny. I don't think, hey man, th th this right here, th if this don't send you to hell on a banana peel, I don't know what will, man. I, I ain't playing about this. He got the nerve to sit up here talking about he knows the pain that incarceration caused. Hell, I bet he do. <laughs> let me, before you go, yeah, let me go out to Delano. Delano and I, all last week, or two or three times last week, started talking about rap music. It's appropriate that Little Nas X has come out with another video. Real quick, let's not forget, Snoop did a video where the devil wrote, wrote, brought him back up from the dead, and murder, murder was, was the, the case. case that they gave Murder was the case. Not, let's not forget that. Yeah. Come on. No, no, look, it's all over the music. They're not hiding what they're doing with the music. It's, we have been silent as black men in my view, and I'm talking about myself. I'm not putting any the blame anyplace else. I, all the music I'm talking about. Didn't The weekend come out at the Super Bowl with the angels all around him? And He's not a rapper, but uh, the music industry, you're okay. right. I mean, you're I'm right. just saying, it, right. it ain't it's it's the just been It's the music industry. All right, let's roll out to Washington, D.C. Delano and I have been having this conversation now going on two weeks. Little Nas X's latest video, Delano, Am I right that we, those of us that spent 30 years dancing to this music, should not be surprised where he has taken this music? Absolutely. You're absolutely right. Um, we had a chance to address some of the, the issues in hip hop, the violence, the, the sexual content, um, the, the degrading images of women, We've had that chance from 1989, you know, through the next 30 years. And for whatever reason, we, and, and I'll say the community, but as you said, particularly black men, the artists, um, the, the, the people who find talent, the executives, have chosen not to do that. And we've chosen not to do that for mainly one reason, because we have believed that um, rap's ability to make a small number of people very, very rich um, is worth the cost of the damage that it causes to the larger number of people who don't just see the music as art to be enjoyed, but a, but a lifestyle to be lived. So to your point, when I see Lil Nas X, 
I'm not surprised by that progression. Uh, we've seen it moving in that direction for a number of years. Um, and to his point, and, and, and honestly to his credit, he's, he's right. Um, a lot of people who are up in arms now were silent um, or, or made excuses for the types of imagery that, that the music was promoting you know, over the last three decades. Um, now, I'm not, I'm not saying that what he's doing is beneficial, obviously. Um, I, don't, I don't agree with it. I don't like it. It's not something that I would indulge in. Um, I come from you know, a place with you know, a Christian sexual ethic, so I believe that, that sex is, is something good that God created to be enjoyed within the context of marriage between one man and one woman for one lifetime. So I, I put my own position out there clearly but it is hard and it puts some artists in a, in, a, in a tough spot to criticize him when they've been complicit in some of the other imagery over the last few decades because his position is going to be, you're only doing this because it's me with other men. And, and I, you actually saw that uh, come out you know, during the BET Awards when some people were critical, one artist and, and you know, sort of hip hop legend, a guy named Benzino, made some comments online. Um, Mark Lamont Hill asked him what it is that he had an issue with and Benzino came on his show. And you could tell he was, just, he was just afraid to say what he wanted to say, which is, I don't like seeing the image of two men kissing each other. And that's, and that's really what Benzino felt. He's just afraid to say it because we're at a point in our, in our culture where the more marginalized and oppressed your group um, is, or you claim your, your group is then the less criticism you have to deal with in the public sphere so whenever people raise their hands to criticize you you can say you're, you're aiding and uh, adding to the oppression of a marginalized minority group and I think people who promote Lil Nas X's work know that and they know that the um, particularly the, the black men who have contributed to the state of hip-hop and its degradation and the, the values that it promotes, they know that those guys are in a compromised position. One, because they, they look like hypocrites if they criticize Lil Nas X um, while they did all the things that they did for, you know, Snoop talked about being a pimp and getting involved in porn. And even to this day when he, I think it was last year when he went to University of Kansas um, before they opened their basketball season, the college basketball season, he had a stripper pole and he had, you know, a gun shooting, you know, dollar bills into the, into the crowd. So the, the people who support Lil Nas X know that guys like Snoop are compromised. They don't want to be seen as hypocrites and they don't want to be seen as criticizing an oppressed minority. And the people who promote this type of imagery and this culture, um, they, they know that their subversion works <clears throat> because a lot of people don't want to be seen as bigoted or hateful, um, particularly when it comes you know, to, to public discourse. Delano and Jim, I'm going to bring you into this because Jim worked in law enforcement. Uh, he knows incarceration better than any of us having worked in the sheriff's department in Kansas. Th this celebration of prison culture in music has been going on 30 years now. And I can remember... I can remember 15 years ago, Jim, being in Kansas City, and I was at the Flamingo Casino in Kansas City, right off the water, right off I-35. And, and I remember being at a craps table, 
five in the afternoon, and there were probably six of us around this craps table, and just speaking honestly and authentically, there were three or four black dudes at the end of the table. No, there was like two at one end and two at the other end. And they were having an open conversation for everybody to hear about, oh, I knew that dude when uh, we, we, we did some time together in prison. And then literally they started talking about, uh, and these were big old gangster looking dudes that you'd think, and you, you know, this wasn't feminine looking dudes. And they started talking about prison sex right out at the craps table in front of everybody. And I was embarrassed. And I remember getting my, I was like, man, let me, I can't believe this is the conversation we just having. Everybody, the dealers, other gamblers are listening to this. They talking about it back and forth across the craps table. And I can remember saying, that, and this was 15 years ago, I was like, we have so normalized prison culture that people are comfortable, 15 years ago, just st standing at a craps table, talking about it amongst themselves. And so I actually want to give Nas X credit for being as authentic as he was in this video, because he's putting it in everybody's face. He, it, the video was so authentic, that at one point, one is, Prison people grab this belt loop, and that's what they do. And mm -hmm. you, they punk, and you grab a belt loop, and you walk with me. It was a very authentic video, and I actually think it's healthy, Jim. And then Delano, I'm gonna come to you. I actually think it's healthy that Little Nas X is putting it front and center, right in our face. First of all, music culture and the incarceration go hand in hand. It, 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 it's a documented fact that around 85, between 85 and 88, around the time, you know, everybody praises NWA. I tell people straight out, the rap industry went to hell with Ice Cube, Easy e Dr. Dre. When that group came out, you ran out poor righteous teachers, uh, intelligent hoodlum. X-Clan. Uh, you know, X-Clan. You know, I, I mean, you know, I mean, you, you ran out. KRS-One. Yes, exactly, exactly. You, you ran, around, ran out that what was what we called positive rap. And at that time. Conscious rap. Conscious rap. And, and at that, you know, and remember at that time, you know, we was running around wearing cross colors. You know, we really did call ourselves running around being kind of wearing the red, black, and green and trying yep. to be woke. But at that same time, you also... We were passing laws uh, that, that, that incarcerated black males. We was putting out music. You were singing songs that if you acted that out, you, you know, you was getting 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, you know, uh, for this very same thing. One, one of, you're talking about culture. One of the things, and my, me and my, my son and I had to have this conversation. I said, man, you got, I can tolerate a lot of things. I will not tolerate sagging of the pants. You know, sagging of the pants is something with our culture it's just my thing. Straight out of hey, man, straight out of the penitentiary. Straight out of the gates of penitentiary. The penitentiary, they say, hey, boy, when I get ready for that thing, you need to have your pants down and have it ready for me. See, but you have to understand, man, if we get your mind adjusted to it, if we get you ready for it, when it comes, it's no big surprise. Delano, I want your reaction to my take that I actually think 
Little Nas X is unintentionally doing us all a favor. He's making us deal with this. He's putting it right in our face, and now we have to deal with it. I mean, we definitely don't have to deal with it. Um, in many respects, Lil Nas X and the things that he's doing now, and I think I think part of it is he's trolling. He's 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 looking for the line, just like all kids look for the line, and they they'll push and push and push until someone in authority says you've gone far enough, and then they know okay, this is where I stop. The problem with American culture, pop culture, um, generally speaking, is that there is no line. There's nothing that people can do on a stage in public as it relates to, to um, simulating s sex acts that someone, particularly on, on, on the left, because they tend to be more permissive of these types of things, that they'll say, okay, that's enough. Um, so he, he is forcing us to confront the issues that we have. But in many respects, he reminds me, you know, like, you know, back in the day when you watch Maury, and Maury would have on a kid who was 12 and disrespecting their mother cursing her out, calling her out of her name, and then he would have to get a drill sergeant to come and whip the kid into shape. Lil Nas X reminds me of that in, in many respects. <laughs> so, and, and I've, I've made this, this analogy before in terms of, you know, our, our house being unguarded um, and, and the fact that the father's absent um, or asleep, which functionally is the same, means that the mom and big sister have to step up and guard the house. And again, unless you know both of them are sharpshooters, they're gonna come under the control of whatever force is trying to invade. And I, and I think you're seeing that right now where um, you know, all types of forces have had their hands in, in the black community for years, trying to subvert, trying to um, you know, break up the family, trying to sow seeds of division between different groups, between, particularly between men and women. And I think Lil Nas X is going to force us to confront, particularly within our community, when, when is enough enough? At, at what point will we say, you know what, I, I think this is a little bit too far. And I hope, it, I hope what it is is that too far doesn't just mean, well, if he puts on a MAGA hat, then that's too far. But anything he does you know, on stage as it relates to uh, sexual acts, that's, that's, that's fine. And, and my fear is that at this point, you know, when I look at publications, whether it's The Root or The Griot, or I look at, you know, the people who, who comment on race and culture, there's, there's a 0% chance that they would say anything critically of Lil Nas X. So um, he, he is making us confront our boundaries, our limits. I think they're just going to get continue to get pushed further and further out. Um, and, and I think this is a time for parents to understand that the forces of culture are not operating in the best interests of you and your family. So part of what you need to do if you have children, regardless of how young they are, is to culture-proof them. Because right now, there's a high demand for men, particularly black men, to be seen and portrayed as either gay or effeminate, um, whether that's in drag, whether that's in the, the, the images that Lil Nas X is putting out. I'll, I'll tell you guys, because you, you guys know I have, I have young children. Um, a, couple, a couple weeks ago when we were on a road trip, we were watching a um, cartoon early in the morning as we were getting ready to you know, move on to our next stop. And one of the, the cartoons called Bubble Guppies, which kid, people who have kids under six probably have heard of, they had a character right. who was talking to one of the main characters. 
and the voice sounded weird because the, the character looked like a, a, a woman or a female fish. The whole show takes place on, on underwater. So it's fish and squid and all sorts of other stuff. And then I looked and the character had really done up makeup and, and you know puffy hair. I realized it was RuPaul voiced as one of the characters on the show. And I, and I got it because one of the main characters said that doing something, I can't remember what it was, getting dressed in the morning can be a real drag. And, and that was, the, that was the, the line that parents would, you know, adults would get that kids supposedly wouldn't. So even at that age, right, where kids one, two, three, four, five, six years old are watching these things, they're trying to introduce things in, into music and movies and TV that make that type of behavior, men dressing up as women, I'm gonna be specific and clear, normal to them. And I think Little Nas X is just the, the end result of 30 plus years of that type of programming. I, I listen to what you just said, Delano, and the analogy that I want to make is of, oh, they put crack cocaine in the ghetto. Oh, mm. I remember the, the 80s and the crack epidemic and the CIA put crack cocaine in the ghetto and there was nothing we could do about it. And so we took crack and they financed wars and w with the money or whatever. And, and <clears throat> let's say, I'm not even gonna argue with that narrative, but I just don't understand how we can't see that the music industry and Hollywood have put the emasculation of the black man into front and center in our culture. And I don't, I don't understand the fear or the acceptance of this. And I'll go all the way back. You live in D.C. You're too young or you're probably just 15, 14 years old or I don't know how old you were. But there was a reason why I went to the Million Man March. Hmm. And, and I'll never apologize for going to the Million Man March. I don't, you know... I understand there's baggage, anti-Semitic baggage to Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. I get it. And, and I'm not going to defend that. But I am going to tell you as a black man, the Million Man March and why it connected with me and so many others was that was the last time I've heard anybody with any following demanding accountability for black men to stand up and be men and leaders in our community, and that's why I went. And that's why all throughout college, I'm, I'm not gonna apologize, I listened to Farrakhan tapes, I bought the final call, I went to Savior's Days in Chicago, is because I want us to stand up and take responsibility for our culture and imposing something better. But e even on this issue, I mean, I, Farrakhan's now doing eulogies for Nipsey Hussle and whatever other rapper passes mm. away, it's like everybody has sold out, I, I, oh. except us. <laughs> you just hurt me. I, I forgot that, man. Good God. Yeah, am am I crazy? Um, yeah, no, well, not wrong. I mean, I think you're absolutely right. Um, you know, the, one of the, the biggest frustrations for me is that the people who talk about race, whether they're white or black, so whether it's the Ibram Kendi's or Ta-Nehisi Coates or, you know, everybody's favorite liberal author, Robin DiAngelo, 
there's, there's a central theme that goes through all of their work. And that theme is fairly simple. White people have agency, white people act. Black folk are acted upon. White people can be motivated by fear or rage or privilege. Black people simply react to systems, resources, and our environment. So what, what ends up happening is that any issue that comes up in our community, where we are right now, and this wasn't always the case, there were times where black leaders were um, completely comfortable with the notion of personal responsibility. But right now, the most influential writer on race today, and I, I, would, I can easily make the ar argument is Ibram Kendi, he believes that personal responsibility is, is a racist term. So in effect, what it does, it takes black men who want to run their race, live their lives, you know, have families, raise their kids, and it brings alongside of them somebody who says, you, you don't have to run, let me carry you. you. Your history in this country has been difficult enough, right? Hop on my back, I got, I got the power. Um, you know, I have the strength, I have the stamina, I have the endurance, I have the resources. I can carry you to where you need to go. And way too many of us are way too willing to accept that offer. Um, and that is not a, a, a circumstance, that is not a, a life that's fit for a man. Um, every parent knows this, at some point, your kids are gonna say, mommy, daddy, please put me down. Because eventually, you'll get to the point you're lifting them up and they, their legs are two, two inches off the ground and you don't wanna put them down because you, you love them, you think that you can do whatever you um, need to do to protect them and, and to improve their lives. But there's an innate sense in them that says, it's time for me to walk now. And as strange as it would be for me to go in the barbershop, you know, with my son years from now, he's 17 years old, and I'm carrying him, carrying him in my arms. That's how weird it is when, when people who say that they're for the black community want, um, think that the, the views and the opinions of some random white person in Iowa are what will make or break the life of some, you know, a black family in Philadelphia. That's how strange it is to me. So in many respects, you know, we're, we're raising sons who will be perpetually boys. And I don't think that's healthy for any community because eventually the women in that community are gonna say, this guy can't even, he can't even stand on his own two feet. Every time he's, he's talking, he's talking about what somebody else owes him and what somebody else needs to do for him. And people are gonna come and they're gonna take the bread that we leave on the floor. They're gonna take the opportunities that we say are not the right opportunities. They're gonna pass us by. And all we'll be left with is a, is a lament and complaints. So I, I don't understand why people um, sign on to that, particularly men. Um, I, I find it to be, and, and, and let me say this, because sometimes when people criticize the behavior of men, they think that we're, what we're trying to do is down men by comparing them to women. And I'm not doing that. I'm saying it's, it's I'm comparing men to children, right? It's, it's not that if you're not manly, you're acting like a woman, it's no. If, if you're not manly, you're acting like a child or you are, you're allowing other people to treat you like a child. And that's, that's not something that I think we should be co-signing, not in 2021, not ever for that, point, for that matter. The other thing about this little Nas X tactic ploy uh, that I find fascinating that we keep going for is that all these entertainers and athletes, and this is why I've been critical of a lot of the athletes, 
they keep wrapping themselves in social justice reform. And mm. little Nas, they like, oh, I'm coming out with this highly sexualized video directed at kids, but I'm also part of the Bail Project. And the Bail Project is part of structural racism, and I'm against it. And so, yeah, what, what I may be doing may be immoral, but I'm pro-social reform. And, and, and then they, there's always the twist, and that was in his quote, the twist is like, and you know, this issue, structural racism issue, is also connected to the LGBTQ issue. All of this is orchestrated and planned. It's social engineering. It's a clever little twist. So, oh, ignore this immoral stuff I'm prescribing for your kids and sexual promiscuity and the fact that I'm, I'm bringing jailhouse prison culture mm. to, 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 your, to your kids. I'm out here saving lives and trying to get these guys that have been uh, brutalized in prison, I'm trying to get them bail so they can get out and, and babysit your kids. I just don't think any of it's an accident. I think it's, it's a clever tactic employ that we keep going for. And I, and I think part of that is, is um, as you said, hip hop uh, introduced prison culture, um, not just into the mainstream, but really um, infused it in many respects into black mainstream culture in, in, in a similar sense that um, the strip club is, has sort of been fused in many respects you know, with, with black mainstream culture, which is why you could have you know, mega church pastors in Atlanta showing up at, at Magic City and that not make anybody's eyebrows raise. But I think one of the effects of what hip hop has done over that time, again, painting black men primarily as victims of a racist criminal justice system as opposed to victims of violent crime, is that it has made our community extremely um, sensitive to the needs of um, and protective of criminals. And I'm talking about violent criminals. That's why whenever you see mm. a, rapper, a rapper that has free insert rapper, free C murder, free yayo, free whoever it is. No one ever asks, well, why was that person incarcerated in the first place? Who, who was their victim? What did they do to that person? That's never the question. You hear it in the way our politicians position um, and, and promote changes to our legal system. It's criminal justice reform. It's not public safety. So for them, the, the focus is always on the people who are committing crimes. So what ends up happening is that they focus on the criminals. They make it so that it's easier for them to walk out of prison or, or, or jail, right? You're arrested for a gun crime on Monday, you walk out on Tuesday. Then guess what happens? You shoot somebody on Thursday. Now the person who raised um, bail, Lil Nas X, or you know, Madam Vice President Kamala Harris when she was you know, still, a, still a senator, or John Legend, or any of the other um, people, in, in many, in oftentimes useful idiots who contribute to this type of uh, subversion and, and, and destruction, they will never be visited by the people that they let out of prison. But the, some of the guys who come, who are let out, and there was actually a case like this where one of the people who benefited from um, the Minnesota Bail Fund that the, the VP pushed during last year's you know, protests and riots and all the other activity 
he ended up, I think, going back and killing somebody. So these people, as you said, they, they wrap themselves in the cloak of social justice. They advocate for those they see as most oppressed. They help get those people out of prison and jail. Those people come back to our communities and terrorize our grandmothers and our children, make it so that they don't feel safe walking on the streets. And, and then they get to, the, the, the celebrities get to claim that, you know, they're for the little person and they're for the oppressed. So they, they never have to pay for um, the decisions that they make. Um, but they left, they, they, they're the ones that um, free the people from, from prison and jail and then they stick us with the bill, ultimately. I was going to switch topics, but you just said such a mouthful that I got to react to, and I want to bring Uncle Jimmy back into this because you have more experience working with inmates and anything, and we'll have a point of view on this. But as I was sitting there listening to you uh, expound there, Delano, I started thinking about my commitment to... I wrote one of the best pieces of journalism I ever did in my career was for Playboy magazine, and it was about mass incarceration and the drug war. I have spoken at various prisons and detention facilities across this country. Wherever I've, I've lived, I've tended to connect with correctional facilities and outreach to, to criminal. I spoke at Leavenworth Prison. I mean, well, that was before Michael Vick was there, but I, I, I've spoken at a lot of correctional facilities. And I, I have a commitment and a passion for understanding how mass incarceration impacts the entire community because it's not just the person who's in prison who is doing that time. Anybody that loves and cares about that person is doing that time with them. They're impacted by that. People don't go to prisons alone. Their loved ones go with them. They have to go visit. They have to spend time worrying. That They have to spend money. And, and there's a whole system of exploitation for people when they are in prison. You, you know, it, it costs a ton for them to make phone calls. Then you're sending money on their books for X, Y, and Z. It, it, there's a whole system built around that. And so... It, it, it damages not just the people incarcerated, but, but listening to you talk, and it made me think about all of our attention, or a great amount of our attention, is focused on helping the incarcerated. And, and you know, one thing people love is attention. There's almost nothing a young person, a human being won't do to get some attention. And we've set up a society and a culture where drug dealers and criminals and all our attention, oh, how can we make life better for George Floyd? Well, Jim, who's, making li who's out worried about how they can make things better for James and Jamil? James Senior. Other, but there's no cultural thing. Like, we got to do everything in our, in our power to make sure James and Jamil are okay. Who, who, we got to do everything in our power to make sure that 13-year-old Jason Whitlock is okay. Because I wasn't a criminal. I was a bad kid, but yeah, I was... See, that's your problem. See, what? you wasn't a criminal. <laughs> see, if you was a criminal, we'd have some programs Program, in place yeah. for All set aside. But, but I, I'm just wondering, is it, 
Am I wrong, Jim, or, or what is your take on what Delano put on the table in terms of all of this attention we have for the incarcerated? You dealt with incarcerated. How many of them are victims? How many should, how much energy should we be focusing on trying to save them? Uh, That's I, a loaded question. I'm sorry for dumping that in your lap. <laughs> I, I'm never going to say that we shouldn't help. Right. But, but, but you also have to, um, let's see, what's the word that I'm looking for? A sociopath. You know, a, a, a lot of these, a, a lot of these so-called victims are sociopaths. And by them being sociopaths, you know, what, one of the things that they love is, you know, attention. Well, a lot of times, uh, going to what Delano said, we won't give a child or a, a, a youth any attention. But once they get locked up, oh, yeah, I got money on your book. Then we want to give them attention. Sometimes that's the only way some of these youths can get some attention is to go to jail. Then all of a sudden you want to pay attention to them. And our society does them the same way. We don't, we don't care nothing about you when you're, when you're struggling. But now once you go out and commit a murder or a crime or something, then we'll talk about this, what this person went through and, and what they did. But you don't want to help them before they get there. And, and man, let, let's not, look, man, let's not act like this whole thing. Because if you, if, if you, if you want to fall victim to the, to, to, to the mind game and the rap game and the drug game, we got a place for you. We got two places for you. We got a jailhouse and we got a graveyard. And both of them things is big business. And it keeps going and it keeps going and it keeps going. But the thing that you're saying as far as the families and the incarcerate, uh, 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 the families of incarcerated youths, hey, man, a telephone call cost you like $3, $4 a minute. You know, just, just ridiculous. You, 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 I mean, it's just robbery of what you do. A, a, a Roman noodle soup is like a dollar. Man, you can get a case of Roman noodle soups. You know, I mean, it, 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 so even if you don't, if you don't have money at home and then you go into the legal system and you still don't, you, you, you still have to survive there. Like the guy told me, I wasn't gay. It was just a hustle. You still have to compromise in order to make it. I, I know I dealt with this, or my family, it's a personal issue in terms of, I, I'm not gonna call names, but, well, I, I, look, I had a cousin that was killed by the police. You've, I've written about it, I've talked about it. Uh, he was incarcerated first, and his mother loved him. And his mother's life was built around making sure he was okay when he was locked up. And so she starts breaking her back, working all the overtime she can to make sure he's okay while he's locked down. It takes over her life. And so I'm, I, 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 it's a complex issue. Uh, Delano, I'm gonna give you the last word and I'm gonna let you go if you have a final thought about any of the things we've been talking about as it relates to Little Nas X or the, this last part of the conversation. Give you the last word, then we'll let you go. Sure. Uh, a, a couple of things, um, and I think you, you sort of picked up on this, Jason. I'm all for um, programs that help people. I myself have been um, you know, to the, the local jail at least four times you know, to help and to promote different programs as you know, guys were getting ready to be released and to go back home. I've been on 
um, town halls for people who are incarcerated in state prisons outside of the city. So I'm, the argument I was making was not one that's against help. And as a Christian, I believe in redemption. I believe that people can change. But a couple of things. One, I think part of the reason that um, the mainstream dialogue around this issue has been shaped in the way it has is because a lot of people, we use terminology, we'll talk about mass incarceration, but nobody ever asks, like, what does that actually mean? Now, if you listen to Ava DuVernay, if you watch 13th, uh, her documentary, or you listen to Van Jones, you'll walk away thinking that 70%, 75% of the black men who are incarcerated in, in our prisons are there for nonviolent drug crimes. But that's actually not true. Um, if you look at state prisons where most of the prison population is held, over 90% of it is in state prison, um, over 60% of um, the black people incarcerated in state prisons across the country are there for violent crimes. It's less than 13% there for drug crimes of all types. Now, to compare, for whites, it's about 48% there for violent crimes and about 14% there for drug crimes. So if you look at the data, um, there are more black prisoners in prison, in state prisons, for murder alone than all drug crimes. And this tracks with what we see in our communities, right? Homicide is the leading cause of death for black men between the ages of 15 and 24. Every year, uh, black Americans constitute more than half of all the homicides in this country. So, so we know the types of things that we're talking about, but you know, oftentimes people on the left will introduce euphemisms and, and jargon to make you think that the problem is one thing when it's actually something else. So again, I believe in redemption. I think we should have honest conversations. And ultimately, at the end of the day, in our community, we have a, a fairly simple choice to make, right? We can either address the behavior of our, of our cousins or tell our grandmother, this is just, it is what it is. He's gonna be out there, he's cutting up, he's, he's making the neighborhood unsafe, and you just gonna have to deal with it. And I come from the position that if, if I'm cutting up or my cousins are cutting up, and I have to choose between one of us going to sit down somewhere for a little while and making life a little bit more pleasant for our elders, I'm gonna go with the elders every time. So I think in a similar respect, you know, we, we need to be honest about the things that we're facing in our communities. And some of those issues are issues of crime, and some of those issues are issues of culture and values. And I think the same defenses we need to, to keep out, you know, some of the criminal element we need to, to keep out some of the, um, the, the ideas and values that Lil Nas X is pushing that are ultimately counterproductive and self-destructive for, for our young people. Thank you, Delano. Thank you, Dave. Thank you guys. Great job. Jimmy, I gotta say, for one of the few times I think we held our own against Delano. I think we were, combined, we were just as smart as he was singularly. Yeah, but Delano's hairline looks better than your hairline and my line hairline put together. You need to speak for yourself. Ain't a damn thing wrong with my hairline. I'm <laughs> oh, I look you, what you, you must have made a payment this week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, we held our own. Combined, we, you know, our IQ I, today combined was actually if you, if you, Delano. Since you're going to put it like that, I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. Did it not seem like Delano held back a little bit? He might have. It seemed like he was oh, kind of, he, he let us have he that He gave one, us the man. W today. Yeah, man, he, he, he let us w. have that one. All right. Anyway, let me tell you about my good friends at Good Ranchers. 
Love what those guys. <laughs> it's our wonderful Good Rancher sponsor. Now, as you can tell, <laughs> who likes to eat more than me? Nobody. I mean, I love food. <laughs> I'm a big guy, and I love to eat good food. Since they've joined our program here at Fearless, Good Ranchers has sent over some truly amazing food that Uncle Jimmy and myself have greatly enjoyed. We're waiting on that seafood box. I would love that seafood box. Please, if you're watching, they have amazing steaks and chicken options for you to choose from, as well as pork and seafood. I'm personally a big fan of their steaks, and when cooked at home, will be just as good as what you'd get from a high-end steakhouse, and no one loves high-end steakhouses more than I do. All of their food options can be ordered online and safely delivered right to your door. You can place one-at-a-time orders, or better yet, you can subscribe. Check out the Family Feast Bundle, which is filled with plenty of steak and chicken for the whole family. If you subscribe, you'll get $20 off and free express shipping. Get with Good Ranchers today, and this is the key. Support American farmers. Good Ranchers is America first all the way through and through. All of their meat. All of them. Right here in America you should be supporting American farmers, and Good Ranch is a great way to do it. Go to GoodRanchers.com slash fearless to get $20 off and free express shipping. That's GoodRanchers.com slash fearless. Welcome back. Jason Whitlock, Uncle Jimmy. Yup. The rumor is you want to flip me the bird, I'm going to beat you to it and flip you the bird. Always. Yeah. Always. Yeah. Good thing we didn't use the right finger. Hey, man, look, I'm look, I'm going to get, get demonetized. <laughs> <laughs> you canceled like Dr. Seuss. Yeah. Look here, man. Uh, you know, uh, this, the tweet today comes from that dude. Y'all call him Tom Brady. I call him the GOAT. Uh, we in Kansas City call him Zielzabob. Ziel's about, what's that, is that a play on Giselle? The, the devil, the devil himself. Oh. Come on here, man. Anyway, Tom, Tom the Devil Brady yeah. tweeted out and said, training camp starts this week. I'm looking forward to having some actual receivers again. LOL. Man, watch this video. Oh, oh, who tweeted this, Giselle or Tom? Well, Giselle didn't tweet it because her voice is deeper than Tom. <laughs> that ain't right. Look at this. Yeah, he's throwing the footballs into a jugs machine. <laughs> then he steps back. It's incredible. Let's go. That's absolutely incredible. That, that's goat activity. Are you, so you're one of these people that actually believe that? You actually you don't believe it? It, it, it? I tell you what I believe. It, it goes to show that demonicism in its highest. That's what it goes to show. It defies logic. Patrick Mahomes could probably do it, too. Ain't no reason to be jealous. Don't hate the game, not the player. Whatever, man. It's Tom Brady. It's easy to do. You don't think that's real? Look here. Do you know what? This man is coming back playing football again this year. Tom Brady's 178 years old. I know. And you should be inspired by that. Okay. He he, he defies. Okay, look. If I had me a wife that could say some prayers and I can get me a referee that name my they firstborn Tom Brady Jr., I, I, I could win a Super Bowl, too. Get out of here, man. Go ahead and do your Giselle imperson- impersonation. Oh, Tom, Tom, I want a new contract, Tom. Tom, I want to go to Tampa, Tom. Anyway. Oh, Tom, a black man is walking in our house. What is his name? 
Antonio Brown. <laughs> <laughs> That's what his name is. Let me bad mouthing Giselle. Ooh, ooh, Tom, can he stay? Can he stay? <laughs> Giselle makes more money than Brady, man. She's the go-to. All that, all that good looks and all that money. You better get up off Giselle. All right, let's move to our approval rating of little nasty little X-rated. Nasty ass X. Yeah, no, I call him little nasty X-rated. Uh, <laughs> he's all in the news because of his new video, uh, Industry Baby. You heard Delano and I just Man, talking about it. Uh, this is going to be very interesting, Jim, because I have to say, Little Nasty X-Rated, his job performance, I don't know if you could do a better job of representing uh, the satanic coat. I'm going to give him a, a, a 25 perfection. He's doing his job perfectly. Uh, he's definitely representing the industry to the highest. Yeah, he gets a twenty-five. Yeah. Oh, we're in agreement there. We're in agreement. Yeah, he, we're you, both. You, can, you can't do it much better. No, you really. I mean, look, he made the one. What was the video before this? The before the one I, I just talked about today. But he, yeah, he went down I'll to, take my horse to the. No, 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 no. He went down to hell to give the devil. Uh, whatever, man. Come uh, on, a man. lap dance. Well, how, how do you let that float around in your mental Rolodex? How do you? Hey, Jay, Jay, I'm, I'm gonna do a video. All right? I'm, I'm gonna go and do a lap dance on the devil, right? I'm gonna let him do a money shot on my back. <laughs> I didn't know. Anyway, character. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with a zero, and that's not a statement about his uh, sexual lifestyle. That's just. Man, the guy's making music allegedly for kids, and now it's all sexually explicit. Zero in character. The man has no character. He's making music for kids, and he's selling tennis shoes to kids. Yeah, satanic tennis shoes. Well, we we, we get tennis shoes, whatever, in the blood of Jesus. He, he got tennis shoes in the name of Satan. You know, so for that, he's riding that. Uh, where are we at? We're on character. He's a, if that ain't a character, I don't know what the hell is. If that ain't a character, I don't know what the hell is. You're giving him a perfect score in character. That, that, but if that ain't a character, I don't know what the hell is. All right, the next category, authenticity. Uh, I think he's being authentic to his brand. Uh, I think it was all a smokescreen, Old Town Road. It was just to get young followers, and now he's on message and being authentic. I'm going to give him a 23 in authenticity. First of all, uh, for authenticity, I'm going to give him a zero. <laughs> you can't come out here and disrespect the name of Billy Ray Cyrus. Don't break my achy, breaky heart. And we, we think that you down with the Old Town Road, and then you done flipped the script all the way like this. What is, Billy Ray Cyrus, what's he got to do with this? That's his song. Old Town Road? Yes! Oh, I didn't you know that. You talking about you from Nashville. Get the hell out of here, man. <laughs> Come on here. Is that right? Is he, Corey, is that right? Old Town Road is Billy. Corey, tell him it's right. Say yeah. He was on the remix. Oh, he was? Oh. Yeah, I'm going to take my horse to Let's hold on. Three black men debating country music. Chris, do you have a vote on this? Is Billy Ray Cyrus really the uh, Old Town Road guy? Yep, it was uh. a duet. Oh, all right. uh, you can bet. You can bet. You. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, uh, it factor. Little Nasty X will not be appearing on my music wall of fame. Well, are you uh, sure you don't want to take Tech down and put Nas up there? No, we will not be taking okay. Tech down see. to put up Nas. All right. It factor. Uh, let's go to it factor. I. There's no it factor for me, Jim. I'm going to go with a zero. 
I don't know what the hell it is, but if he got it, I don't want no parts of it. He gets a zero from me. <laughs> All right, so once, man, we got agreement again. We both have him at a dumpster fire, although you're very close to uh, having him above. I have him at, is that candlelit? Was that the next, next one? You're very close. I got him at a 48 dumpster fire. You have him at a 50. We have some agreement here. Hey, man, let's put it like this. There's even, Nas X has proven that there's even some things that Jason Whitlock won't do. <laughs> yeah, little nasty X. That's uh, by me. Miss me with that. All right, that's it, and that's all. We'll see you tomorrow.